Today on The Topping Show, Bud Light tweets yet another dodo. Elon Musk roasts Barbie and is immediately raked over the coals for his critique. TikTok to add a text-only post, perhaps to compete with threads and Twitter. Tim Allen controversially says men need dads. Texas Cocktail Club initiates a dress code requirement and everyone freaks out. Cartoon Network anime department files paperwork to become unionized. Ron DeSantis lays off one-third of his campaign staff. EV beats diesel for the first time in Europe. Nissan GTR increasing their pricing. Yeezys save Adidas, Chevron leadership shakeup, and Spotify to raise prices. All of that and much, much more today on The Topping Show. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in today. Today's episode of Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, see their founder at least twice a day. I gotta say he's quite handsome and brilliant. He's me, that's the joke. If you're an IT leader or business owner, need a little assistance, reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Now, going on to the business part of the podcast, you have EV beating diesel for the very first time over in Europe. Now, it's also interesting to note that, that the Tesla Model Y is Europe's overall top seller this year for any passenger car category, which is pretty astonishing considering that's the headquarters of Volkswagen, one of the largest, largest automotive companies on the planet. At their peak, they basically owned everything fun when it comes to automobiles. They had Ducati, which is obviously, or not obviously, very sporty Italian motorcycle racing company. They had Lamborghini, which obviously legendary V10 and V12 engines used to be the stick shift to the demise they decided to get rid of those. They also, of course, had Volkswagen, you had Audi, they owned more companies than you could possibly count. Well, that's not saying much. Average test scores in the U.S. for math are all-time low. However, they own many, many brands. And don't forget Bugatti, one most profoundly famous in terms of performance, having their great W16 cylinders of greatness. But it looks like Tesla is starting to creep up and take over some of their market share. Now, it looks like currently in Europe, they have a 15.1% market share for EV vehicles, while diesel holds a 13.4% of the market share. Now, if you do overall breakdown of the type of vehicles over there, you have petrol, which of course in the United States we call gasoline. That comes in at 36.3% of all new car sales or vehicles sold. Second, you have hybrids at 24.3%. You then have battery electric at 15.1%. You have diesel at 13.4%. Plug-in hybrids at 7.9%. And you have other at 3%. Which begs the question, what is other? I can only hope something, something fascinating and futuristic that we're not allowed to know about, like a nuclear-powered car or some crazy out, out of the world, but it is funny that they just have an other category. Maybe it's horse-drawn carriages? Come full circle, perhaps? It'll be interesting to see, but time shall tell. But it looks like Tesla's continuing to grow like weed in Europe, and beating diesel for the first time is a pretty big achievement, and perhaps there'll be a demise of diesel, even though, historically speaking, is one of the best return on investments is a diesel engine, which is why semi-trucks Look at a million miles out of a semi-truck, and they're all diesels. But time shall tell. Other interesting businesses, you have Nissan increasing the price of the Nissan GTR. So now the base model 2024 Nissan GTR is going to start about $15,435 more. Or scratch that, not, eh, I think it's about seven, seven, $8,000 more. So the current brace price is $115,435. The new starting price for Nissan GTR base model is $122,885. Now, you also have the Nissan GTR T-Spec. Now, that's going to be coming back. That is going to be priced at 
$142,885. Then you have the Nissan GTR Nismo Edition, which is going to be priced at $222,885 with the Nissan Nismo arriving this summer. Now, it is great that the Nissan GTR still exists in this era of government bullying companies to make EV and hybrid vehicles, since if you don't have a fleet average, they basically kick you to the curb. So a lot of these companies are being pushed in one direction. So just the fact that the Nissan GTR still exists is a great testament to their engineering capabilities, but it's a little disappointing that every couple of years the GTR, it's almost become a Chevy in regards to, it's about the same, they just slap on some new body panels. And of course, most disappointingly for a purist like myself, the Nissan GTR, no matter what model you get, only comes with two pedals. You need three pedals for a true fun experience, in my opinion. Also known as having a clutch, also known as having a stick shift and a manual transmission. Which, in my opinion, is why the vintage D Nissan GTR, which vintage, you know, think about the old, the classic Fast and Furious movies when they're stealing VCRs and tube TVs, which shows how long that franchise has been around. Really, the pinnacle of that car and that show was Paul Walker's Nissan GTR. I mean, when you look at the GTRs of the past, you got the R34, those are peak Japanese engineering, in my opinion. They all have a stick shift, of course, as performance cars are intended to have, my three cents. It used to be two cents, but I'll be damned. 40-year hyperinflation, I should charge four, but, but I'm a generous man, only be three cents for my opinion today. Granted, it is still free to click that subscribe button. Now, it'll be interesting to see how long Nissan can keep this up. It's one of the only few things really elevating the brand, and also goes to show the importance of having a halo car, where you really show the pinnacle of what all your engineers can do when they have very few limits. I think of like, you have the Toyota, you have the Toyota engineering came out with the Lexus LFA, which many people attribute the great exhaust note in having the V10 engine. Unfortunately, it had an automatic transmission, but in terms of the manufacturing of the vehicle, the features, kind of like F1, a lot of the technologies trickle down into the base models throughout the years as, of course, technology decreases in price over time. So I really hope Nissan kind of pushes the envelope a little bit more and kind of goes all out as they continue to keep the GTR alive and not just give it a nice little facelift every couple of years and one or two, you know, maybe five more horsepower. I mean, really show off what you can truly do. And I know Nissan as a company is struggling. They're also part of Peugeot Mitsubishi Alliance where they're all struggling so they kind of came together. But also at the price point of a quarter million dollars about, there's a lot of other more compelling solutions, especially if you're willing to compromise or kind of go just disappoint yourself by buying an automatic transmission sports car. There's a lot of other better bang for your buck if you think about other vehicles that are a little bit more compelling. Porsche, to their credit, still makes a stick shift and has a great phenomenal vehicles, and they are so much fun to drive around the corners, but I don't know, for that type of price, over about a quarter million dollars? I mean, there's probably, you can probably buy a used Lamborghini for that much, you can get a nice Corvette, make a C7 Corvette with a stick shift, you got seven gears to choose from, but it'll be interesting to see what Nissan does as they continue to keep this vehicle alive, which I'm glad, but Hopefully they increase the R&D and maybe add that third pedal someday for the true enthusiast. But it is exciting to still see them make the twin turbo V6 and it of course is the GTR so it's, it has a big cultural following and it's a good testament to the fans of the brand. Now other interesting business use, you have Yeezy's saving Adidas. Now this is actually about nine months after Adidas formally parted ways with their former business partner known as Kanye West which 
marketing fail, he changed his name to Ye, which, or Yi, Y E. So C minus for marketing because everyone's just going to call him Kanye West anyway, and Yi is not very memorable. It's what kids say on a playground, or like if you accidentally bump into someone, like E, which is close to U, like E W W. It it's not very good marketing for someone who, traditionally speaking, has been pretty good at marketing, selling albums, and all that kind of stuff. Now they actually part of ways because he had a huge mental breakdown and he said some disgusting anti-Semitic things. Now, ironically, if you look at the history of Adidas, this is kind of funny. Kind of the um. The, was it the pot calling the kettle black? But I'll let you Google that sometime and see their fascinating business history of Adidas. Nevertheless, they chose to part ways with Kanye West, and they're left a problem. Overall, Adidas is not a super powerful brand. They've been around for, oh, ever since World War II, spoiler alert. But it's one of those things where it's not a Nike, bar none, in terms of the market share, the sales. And one of the biggest things when it comes to attributes and why Americans specifically just worship celebrities and buy clothes based on what they wear, they see athlete endorsements are a huge deal. And celebrity endorsements are an even bigger deal as people want to somewhat emulate their heroes, I suppose. And they just broke ways with a multi-billion dollar partner. Now, Yeezys apparently was the shoe, specific shoe model that Kanye and the brand collaborated with together, and there's still discrepancies about who owns with intellectual property. But this also meant that after they parted ways, Adidas had about a little over a billion dollars in Yeezy shoes in a warehouse gathering dust. They they said they weren't going to sell them because they're of course worried about being anti-Semitic, and part of the money would go to Kanye. So they're in a pickle in that regard. But if they do nothing, that's a big part of their sales strategy. That's a big part of their inventory. So. A couple months go by and they finally decide, how can we possibly get ourselves out of this? How can we make money but not lose face? Which was quite literally the billion dollar question. They came up with a brilliant idea, admittedly. They said, we're gonna sell them and donate the proceeds to charity. Now, apparently, interestingly enough, they're actually not gonna send it all to charity. And when I first read the article, I believe it was two, three months ago, I thought they were gonna give all the profits to charity. Of course, that's not great. You know, business-wise, you need to make a profit to make a living, and that's one of the most profitable things they sell. So I don't even know if they could fiscally take that much of a hit. Because people forget when you donate money to charity, you're still donating money as a business. You have to make that money, and you're losing that money. It helps with your taxes a little bit, but it's still money being spent or invested, however you want to frame their vernacular around philanthropical ideals and actions. So... It looks like they originally field orders for 4 million pairs and they think they're going to sell about $562 million and this is from anonymous sources and time shall tell to see if they can really get that much money. There's going to be a lot of people that perhaps buy because of the collectability because if they truly sever their partnership with Kanye West or Ye, whatever he preserves to be called these days, this will become a collectible and people collect you know, shoes religiously. There's a whole community and whole people spend people spend more money on shoes and cars in some circles when it comes to collecting like the Air Jordans, which is Michael Jordan's brand with Nike. Now that'll be a short blip on the radar for sales, but what's the long-term business strategy of Adidas? That's what really the CEO should be concerned about. Are they hopefully quartering and trying to you know court and date or you know business-wise date celebrities to try to get another endorsement deal or? A collaboration with another athlete or I guess he's a more rapper because that's a big part of fashion 
personally, I don't really care. This is a suit I got five or seven years ago for a friend's wedding, and no one famous wore it as far as I know. Well, it's new, so hopefully they won't wear it and put it back. But I digress. I'm not their target audience, for sure. But it'll be interesting to see what Adidas do as they try to remain profitable and try to ideally grow the business in the hyper-competitive landscape that is fashion apparel. Time, as I always say, shall tell. Other interesting business news, you have Chevron leadership changing as they have more of a, about a 50% decrease in earnings. So that's, that's, that's pretty bad. Now, I know American tech stores and schools are at all-time low, so I'll help. 50% is also known as half. So if you have an apple and someone takes a knife, they cut it in half, that's half the apple gone. Quite literally, one of those two pieces is gone. That is commenced today's mathematical lessons. You're welcome. Now, in all seriousness, the CFO is apparently stepping down in 2024, and while Chevron did apparently did way better than Wall Street expected them from their profits, their earnings overall looks like they dropped 50%. And U.S. Chevron is one of the most largest oil companies, and they also noted that they are waiving the mandatory re retirement age, which is 65, for their CEO, Mike Werwith, who is currently 62, and that their specific CFO, Pierre Berber, or Breber, he's going to retire by next year. Now, Elmer Bonner is currently the VP and CTO, Chief Technical Officer of Chevron. He was to see Berber on March 1st, 2024, according to their filings. And it's also interesting to note with when it comes to ages and retirements, it's one of those things where for some people, age is nothing but a number since some of the smartest people in the world are in the 90s. When you look at Warren Buffett, he's quite literally the best, most successful investor in history, with the exception of Nancy Pelosi's husband, who just magically is better than him without having... For, for reasons? Suspicious? No, 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 of course not. All politicians are honest, left or right. I would never critique them at all, and I love life. I would never tell myself. In case uh, someone at the someone who rhymes with the Bittons is listening. But I digress. It's interesting that for some publicly traded companies, that's kind of the rules and stipulations of working there, when you can still be sharp in their 70s, although there are some 80-year-old uh, you know, um, politicians who are clearly delusional and don't know what they're doing, but people still support them nevertheless fascinating times to be in the United States. So it'll be interesting to see. Now, Chevron's earnings actually, their uh, earnings per share, again, it's not their stock price, it's the earnings per share, that dropped 47% to $3.08 per share, which is still better because analysts actually only expect that to make about two seventy one per share. So they're still going to release their full second quarter results tomorrow, which can be Friday. So we're going to get a lot more of the granular details, but this is kind of a high-level overview of what's going on with Chevron. It'll be interesting to see as all these oil companies are adapting to different types of revenue streams. Some of them are trying to adapt to solar, which right now is a fiscal loss. You don't make money on solar. It's one of those things where it kind of like windmills. The average ROI for windmill is twenty is about 20 years. Again, depending on where you put it, how much wind you get. And then of course the blades are kind of hazardous. You can't actually bury them and recycle them, but you know they look green, so people think they're green. When it comes to green, really the breakthrough in technology from an energy perspective is, nu well, nuclear has been green for years, fiscally speaking, and visionally speaking, a little science pun for the audience there, but the breakthrough, and when the U.S., and well, actually the whole globe, they'll adopt green technology when it's a win-win. Right now, it's a loss for anyone investing in it, except the government, which is why the government, well, the government is good at losing money, specifically tax dollar money, and money that they borrow forever, but... It's one of the things where your private sector isn't adopting that yet. Once the scientific, once the scientists come up with the breakthrough technology, whether it's a more efficient solar panel or more efficient windmill or a technology you haven't thought of yet, that's when you'll see a big transition with the oil companies 
where they start to really invest even more research and development and production into those technologies. And given how great humans are at adapting and inventing new technologies, I'm sure that will happen eventually. So it'll be interesting to see Chevron a little bit struggling as the rest of the industry overall is doing pretty good. Will they be able to keep up with the competition? It'll be interesting to see. Now, going on to the culture part of the podcast, you have TikTok introducing a text-only post, also known as Mark Zuckerberg's inspirational ideas of copy-paste, or Control-V, if you're using the keyboard there. And it looks like they're trying to continue to expand their capabilities. I, Elon has this goal of having the all-in-one app with the X app, which he relabeled Twitter. And his goal is to have it do everything from financial to social media. It'll be everything, rudimentary speaking. It seems like TikTok is on that same pathway. Now, I doubt in the United States it will ever be able to have that vision from a TikTok perspective because it is owned by a Chinese uh, company and it's basically just spyware for Americans who don't care about their privacy. But as TikTok tries to continue to evolve and add more options to their users and attract new users, it's interesting to see them adopt the type of tech blog or a text blogging feature, which is Really, that's what Twitter's known for. Then you have knockoff Twitter, which is known as Threads, which already lost 70% of the audience, but it's still around. And it looks like, interesting enough, in terms of being somewhat different than the competition, TikTok will actually only limit the characters to 1,000 characters. Now, currently Twitter, or X, has a limit of 280 characters, and Threads has a character limit of 500 characters. So it'll be interesting to see, do people really appreciate that much more ability to text or communicate with people? Or as part of the fun of Twitter and um, threads is that you have to be more concise with your language and more precise with your language because you only have a limit and a set character. You have a set character limit. You can't pontificate for hours on end or write a book, you know, relatively speaking, a thousand characters compared to 280 is basically a book, which I have to maybe age myself. A book is like a magazine, but longer and with more details and actually takes some intellect to write. And they're pretty rare these days. They are usually gathering dust in banned libraries. However, I, I like to joke I almost single-handedly support the book industry because I, I, I buy paper books. Check them out today. They're, they're fascinating and great things to ingest. But it'll be interesting to see, will TikTok be able to continue their growth rate? Will people appreciate this new feature? Or is it just be kind of a flash pan and flash and pan and no one really cares? Because again, there's, you're already copying something that already exists. There's a little bit more, it's a little bit different because you have the extra text, but what else will they do to attract people to make it better? If you read it, most marketing analytics books, in order to have people adapt to new technology, whether it be a new app or a car or a vehicle, it doesn't, it can't just be a little bit better. It has to be a multiple better, which is no easy feat. It's one of those things where it has to be so much better, it just knocks everyone's socks off and gives them a compelling reason to adapt that new technology or new service, new car, whatever. Or what have you. So I think that's the reason I don't, I don't suspect we're going to see that much of an uptick in the consumption of TikTok. It, I think it'll just maybe their current users will appreciate it a little bit, but I don't think it'll grow the company exponentially. I might be wrong, but as they always say, time shall tell. Now, other interesting culture news, you have Bud Light with their latest Dodo tweets, which I know history scores at all time low in the United States. A Dodo is an extinct bird that was basically it chose to, uh, it's no longer around because it's uh, uncompetitive in the landscape. Poorly designed, well, depending on your belief system, engineered, designed by God, or evolved naturally, depending on your belief system. But it wasn't a very good design, and it kind of just, it's no longer around. U.S. also, you know, not the U.S., but many people also hunted them and 
Well, you can also debate that's the same line of they can fend off predators, but I digress. Bud Light is certainly a contender for that metaphor since, well, that's more self-inflicted, but they're trying to dig themselves out of this hole. It's not working too well. So Bud Light famously, April 1st, not a joke, hired Dylan Mulvaney as their brand ambassador or spokesman. And this person, Dylan, was many people pejoratively considered to pretend in their mind to be a woman by dressing up as a woman and doing cliche, actually more than cliche woman things like saying it was Dylan's whatever day of being a woman and saying that Dylan cried um, because of an email. So if anyone else did, it'd be very sexist and very misogynist or uh, stereotypical, but some people appreciated the fact that Dylan was doing that and thought it was beautiful. And to celebrate Dylan's 365 day of doing that, Bud Light gave Dylan a can. If you noticed, I'm not using Dylan's pronouns it's because YouTube will flag and actually delete the videos if you use them. Now, we're not monetized yet. I hope to get monetized someday, so I'll probably have the unfiltered version. We'll start uploading those on Rumble. But it is very similar to Reminiscent of 1984 with Newspeak, where someone hits you with a... Uh, they shock the... Not to give away the book, but the main protagonist actually shock him electrically until he acquiesced and he says 2 plus 2 in fact equals 5. Many people feel it's an adapt... a very um, accurate metaphor. Now... I, I keep telling people, please do not make this a drinking game with 1984 because it, you won't just pass out. I don't even think you survive. It, that's not a challenge. It's a health warning. But unfortunately, that book is reminiscent of today's society, if not actually mild compared to today's society. But I digress. Bud Light chose that, and they lost about 30, like $28 billion in stock. So their stock valuation dropped by $28 billion. They're losing sales left and right. After 20 years of being number one beer, no longer number one year, number one beer by sales in the United States, they're now... I believe number 14 by last sales figures. So they're not doing great. Now, they're trying to combat this, and Brendan Whitworth, the CEO, trying to be a politician. He's not saying... He's really not saying anything, which is what he has to do, unfortunately, in this situation, because if he says, we made a big mistake, the people on the left will protest them. They already are. And if he says nothing, the people on the right are going to protest them because they already did this. So they're quite literally stuck between a rock and a hard place. They're trying to get out of it with marketing, which is one of the most fascinating things in business. I always like to compare it to the Rubik's Cube of business. I mean, there's a few things you don't know what will work, some might not. This idea certainly did not seem prudent. And of course, the uh, Alyssa, Alyssa Heiserschild, the marketing manager who came up with this brilliant business idea, marketing idea, she's uh, still um, on paid le uh, unpaid leave of absence is the nice way that they're putting it. And um, yeah, she uh, will be interested to see. She might get a job at Starbucks though, or some other company that believes in the things she did. But in terms of sales figures, she, um, yeah, irreversibly damaged the company. So their thought is, okay, well, new marketing campaign. We're going to put out cliche pro-Americana commercials, and we're going to keep tweeting. Not learning their lesson, perhaps. Because they went about two months without tweeting, which in social media is like 20 years. So they've been trying to put out more tweets more frequently the past couple of weeks. Maybe every, every couple of days they're sending out a tweet. But they just immediately get ratioed. And it's fascinating to see not only they get ratioed, but the few positive ones I almost think are fake. Now... This goes back to the today's topic, which is their Dodo tweet of the day. Well, bi-weekly, depending on, or every other day, depending on how many times they tweet. Now, it looks like they specifically tweeted, not a picture, just a phrase that says, quote, only eight days to NFL, but who's counting, unquote. Now, that specific tweet, or X, whatever you want to call it, after Elon renamed the company, that got 159,000 views in the first 24 hours and 526 likes. Now, I know mass scores in the U.S. are all-time low, so we'll do a little math together. That is 0.33% liked. So 
0.33% of people who saw that post liked it. Now, interestingly enough, the top responses, which showed that it got ratioed, the youth call that a phenomenon in which the, re the responses that are pejorative towards the original post are actually more popular than the original post. Now, some of the top ones are from a tweeter by the name of Core of Apathy, in which this person actually quoted out or tweeted out a chart with all the brands owned by Anheuser-Busch InBev and then a, winky, a little winky emoji saying, don't forget which one they still own. And that got about 5,000 views and a couple hundred likes. Now, the other very popular one was from a user by the name of lordpeak.eth. And this one said, quote, counting your losses by the billions, unquote. That got 4,355 views and 107 likes. So good old math scores, that's 2.46% of people who saw that view liked it. Now, to go from there, you also have one from Guitar Guitar Guitar, which it's a B plus for marketing because obviously it's a account that cares much about guitars and apparently beer. Now, this user said, quote, can't wait for the NFL Sunday afternoon relaxing with a cold Yaling, unquote. Yaling being a far superior beer, many would say. Still family owned, headquartered, I believe, still in Pennsylvania. Been around. It's the oldest brewery still in the United States that's been around. So it's still family owned. I actually bought my first case ever, I believe, two weeks ago. I mean, I'm not a big drinker, but I hanged out with some folks and I had a, I think it was a light beer, which I know some would say is an abomination of beer in and of itself, but to me it tastes pretty good. Now, that tweet saying that, you know, going to have that cold yay, like that got 2,465 views and 90 likes. Now, good old math calculator will tell us that's 3.65% of people liked that who viewed it. Now, interestingly enough, someone actually posted a poll as a response to Bud Light. And this poll was from Richard Money, and his poll said, beer and NFL, awesome. What will you be drinking? Option one of the two things you could vote for was one, make mine a Bud Light. Option two, no Anheuser-Busch in Bev. Now, of the 2,281 people who voted in this, 93.6% of the people said no Anheuser-Busch in Bev, which is pretty astronomically bad, granted, when it comes to polls, you always have to ask yourself, what's the sample size relative to the United States population? You know, 2,281 votes is pretty small. Also, you don't know the demographics. It might be a certain group of people, might be a certain group of uh, gender or geographic location. There are a lot of things that go into that that might skew the poll to not give you an accurate representation of the whole United States, as the United States is one of the most diverse countries on the planet, where you can go from state to state and you have drastically different beliefs, ideals, and uh, philosophies. And but it is interesting to think so many people are negative against this. And this is with them still censoring a lot of the more entertaining responses where you have Alyssa Heidershild standing over a grave, doing a little peace sign with the little headstone in the grave saying, you know, Anna Bush, inception date to, you know, died this year. Now, the few responses that were positive, and I'd say there were about three or four that I could find. There were not that many, of course. Now, one then said, yes, baby, who's ready for some in response to Bud Light saying, hey, you ready for our beer? And that got three likes out of 2,818 views. It says 0.11%, so less than Bud Light with their original tweet. Now, I looked in this profile and their profile seemed to exclusively retweet company stuff. So I don't know if it's a bot or someone who just specifically shills for specific companies, I don't know if there's any 
upside or incentives on the back end, but it was strange that this individual seemingly only retweets positive things about companies. Now, another profile said, quote, as a response to Bud Light, can't wait, thanks Bud Light, which I can't, I, that's gotta be like a Bud Light employee, I swear. Now that got 7,450 views. So that's a lot of views. It got six likes. And keep in mind, these are all numbers taken at about the same time rate within 24 hours of the original post. So there's not any skew in that regard. So again, math scores at all time level, we'll do it together. Six likes out of 7,450. That's 0.08% of people who saw that post liked it. Now, that person who tweeted it, they're also suspicious as well. If you click on their profile, they ex seem to exclusively only do retweets for a handle called Millions, and they only have 97 followers. Now, granted, I'm not one to toot my own horn. I don't have a copious amount of followers on Twitter. I think I have like 290-something, give or take. And if you follow me, you'll see some moderately entertaining views and see a little bit about the kind of the signage behind me for the podcast room and mainly business history and interesting stuff like that. And you follow me at N-I-C-T-O-P-P-I-N-G if you want to see me on the Twitter. And it's interesting. The only couple positive tweets or response tweets we got to this Bud Light post, they barely seem human. So I don't know if they're bots or if it's a Bud Light employee Granted, they only have, they, we're going to see some massive layoffs at Bud Light. They are already destroying the ecosystem with bottling plants closing because people aren't buying as much Bud Light as they used to. Distributors are suffering, struggling. So we only have two months of this boycott or two and a half months. Maybe two months and two, a week and a half in terms of sales data as the data is delayed because of the nature of the business being distributed and the indirect sales business model. But It'll be interesting to see how much worse will it get. And I mean, the CEO claims there's nothing to be worried about, but that's also kind of his job as well. But we shall see. They perhaps will be the contender for the business blunder of the century, or at least of the year for the show. Let me know if you think it'd be a good idea to maybe make an official trophy for them. Time shall tell. Now, other interesting cultural news, you have Tim Allen going on social media and making a video. It looks like this video was posted by Turning Point USA which is a conservative, I think it's a 501c, um, independent, or not independent, I believe they're a non-profit um, um, conservative organization. And this short little video on YouTube got 72,000 likes pretty darn quick, at least in a couple days. And some people are saying this is controversial. Let me play this really quick. Boys from fatherless homes are more likely to drop out of school, use drugs, and not send you an ugly tie on Father's Day. They need dads, dads to teach them how to be men. Stuff like throwing a ball, shaving correctly, giving a firm handshake. And the most important lesson, showing the hell up. Running out on your son is a slap in the face to all men, especially men who never had a chance to raise one. Buy a fishing pole, take him fishing. Buy him a tent, take him camping. Buy a boat because, damn it, we need to sell some boats. Maybe one day your son will invite you to his high school graduation. You might have to wear an ugly tie, but you'll wear it proudly because you earned it. Boys. So apparently some people in the comments are saying this also from his old TV show, Home Improvement, which perhaps is why they canceled the show. But it's fascinating to see from a cultural perspective, you wind back the clock, maybe 10, even five, seven years. That's not really a controversial statement. Pretty much everyone believed the most popular way to have a conductive, positive, 
relationship and upbringing for the child is having a mom a dual parent home, having mom and dad at home. Statistically speaking, that gives them the best odds of success. But nowadays, it's almost as people are actually doing the opposite and the inverse. They're actually cheering having single house homes, which by choice, I'm making a, obviously there's delineation, tragedies happen, and of course it's, it's heartbreaking when those things happen, when there's no choice of their own, whether it's a death or departure. But it's interesting to see people are upset at this video because he states the obvious. And times will tell to see if people become more unified behind these types of messages or if the United States just continues to become more bifurcated and just kind of splits. Unfortunately, it seems to be a party lines issue and political issue, which I don't think it should be, but that's just my three cents. It used to be two cents, but hyperinflation is a four year high and I gotta go three cents. It should be four, but I'm generous, I'll do three cents. But try to be hopeful, but as I say, time to tell. Now, other interesting cultural news, you have Texas Cocktail Bar enacting a dress code, and some people are irate. Now, this specifically is a club by the name of Parliament, and apparently it's located in Allen, on Allen Street, and they're going to start enforcing the dress code. And according to the, this is according to their owner, Eddie, quote, Lucky Campbell, which I did a little research. There's no relation to the soup company, so it's not Campbell Soup, so he's not like a soup baron who has extra money to start a club, although it immediately raises eyebrows. His name is Lucky, like... I, I, that's a little unusual. Now, just to show that there's, the fact that there's people outraged about having a dress code just shows how far society has crumbled into mediocrity. You went back the clock 15 years, people used to dress suits all the time. It's one of those things where people have gotten, it shows kind of like the, the um, return the cart theory when you go to the grocery store. It's a good, it gives you a good little summary of someone's character if they can't return the cart to the cart return place. It's perhaps the best metaphor of modern society, that and the clothing. People used to dress up in suits to go on an airplane. It used to be a fun experience. It used to be ex experience. Now people are going on airplanes in open-toed sandals, cat, um, um, shorts, or pajamas, or sweatpants. Clothing that's better reserved for the bedroom, if anything, at all. And the same thing comes with the club. If you're going out to a club or a nice restaurant, suit up. It's one of the most simple things you can do to improve your looks and just, I would say just your, just mentally you feel better wearing a suit. You look sharper, you look sharp, you feel sharp. It's one of those things where, but just even having a collared shirt for some folks is it, just too high of a burden. To go out and buy a $13 polo, it's fascinating that society has crumbled so far where we went, from, we went from having standards to now just having no standards. And just, just having a little bit of standards, people freak out. And it's just ridiculous. Which is why it's always interesting when I get some heads turned when I go to the local grocery store. When I try to keep the best return on investment and look at my time management, if I ever go to get groceries, it's on the way back from a business meeting. Because I'm already in the car, I'm already coming back. So when I'm going to the grocery store, I'll be wearing a suit. And guarantee you, I've never seen anyone else wear a suit at the big box grocery stores, with the exception of one sales rep who looked like he's kind of in the same boat as myself. And we didn't say anything, but as we walked by, we gave each other a look and we just simply said, gave a little simple nod was all we need to do. It just goes, because we just, we both understood we had class, a thing that has eluded most people these days. 
Now, if I owned a grocery store, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't think out of the realm to actually have a requirement. If you want to come to the store, you have to suit up. Maybe, maybe once a week on Fridays, we would permit jeans in addition to having the standard blazer and dress shirt. Maybe. Maybe we have to, perhaps after years, we would get to that point. But hopefully, more clubs will start to enact standards. And hopefully society actually starts to hold themselves standards, not just for your personal health, but also for your clothing, your style, your attitude. Aspire to be something better is something that seems to have eluded the United States for quite some time. But I would argue, like a good suit, something's never got out of style. And we certainly should bring that back, so to say. Now, other interesting cultural news. You have Elon Musk roasting the Barty movie as ridiculously feminist and not kid-appropriate. And, of course, the whole media sphere just immediately raked him over the coals. Because you're not allowed to say that. You have to enjoy the Barbie movie. Regardless of the masturbation jokes, the patriarchy jokes, pretty much the jokes that aren't really appropriate for anyone under 17. But let's dive in. So specifically, Elon Musk tweeted, or should I say he exited? Because he sent out a message on Twitter, which he labeled X. Now, he specifically said, quote, if you take a shot every time Barbie says the word patriarchy, you would pass out before the movie ends, unquote. Which almost should get a fact check because you wouldn't just pass out, you would die. Because they mention it so many times, it's hammered into the user's head. And perhaps the best example of false advertising, because very few people thought this was based on their, they had a brilliant marketing campaign. Their advertising was top notch. Whoever did their marketing and advertising, they deserve a raise because they got people to go see that movie in droves because they thought it was just going to be an innocent movie about Barbie. A very, very popular intellectual property, which people have been known for decades. That's why people went to see the movie. Mattel, basically, I, I suspect the Mattel presidents actually either cudgeled or begged marketing to censor that stuff completely. Because the president and many of the executives at Mattel consistently went on site and actually had philosophical battles with the writer. And they wanted, they did not want this to be a feminist movie. Because they know it would divide their audience. It would actually most likely decrease sales. Because last time I checked, feminists don't exactly encourage girls to play with Barbies. They want them to play with, I don't know, lum uh, lumberjack axes and calculators? But I don't know. I can only assume. I never listen to their blogs, partially because I have more than three brain cells. I, can, I, wouldn't, I might subject that for your entertainment just because I'm pretty selfless in that regard. But I've never, it would take a lot for me to do that. But nevertheless, it looks like this movie is not only being critiqued by conservatives, but you also have a lot of people in the middle who bring these things up as well. You even have Blaze TV host Lauren Chen critiquing the movie, saying uh, regarding how they were hiding, they actually hid how, quote, insufferably woke, unquote, the film was in their personal material, which I agree. They, the That's part of the point in terms of marketing for a movie. That's why you always see the best movie scenes in the stupid trailers, which is why it's so disappointing to see a movie these days, because the best things have already been shown. Because they have to entice you to get in there. In this case, they also had to obfuscate and just hide the actual content. So, a good metaphor for the Barbie advertising was, they show you the bone, the buns of the hamburger, but not the actual burger itself. Or in this case, because they're feminists, probably a soy, a soy burger, which is made by killing lots of critters, because how you have to farm those uh, soy plants isn't exactly... Uh, conducive to a nice, happy ecosystem because those critters go after those things. But I, I digress. Hypocrisy is unpalatable. But it's interesting to see Hollywood's kind of continue to copy-paste the same cliche men versus women and not 
being a unified message, more of a dis disunified message. And of course, Elon being one of the most popular people on Twitter, well, he actually is the most popular person. He bought platforms, so it makes sense. He has the most followers, I believe, as well. But it is interesting to see the mainstream media, everything he does is just critiqued immediately. It's almost gotten to the point where he's reached, he's reached uh, Trump levels of the media hating him. Where Trump, if Trump, if he were to say he likes air, CNN and MSNBC would immediately do some 20-minute article or video saying how bad air was and evil air or racist air is. Like, it's a very fascinating thing, culturally speaking, when it's just a complete dichotomy of the medias where they'll just do a 110% or rather 180% spin, just complete about face. But, of course, Elon's got more money than anyone in history, so I doubt he's going to be culturally canceled in that regard. What is interesting to see is he continues to be more of a going against the grain of mainstream media. Why perhaps that is also why he's more demonized and why he's more attacked now than ever. Interesting as well. Now, going over to the political part of the podcast, you have Cartoon Network and Warner Brothers Animation Department filing to unionize, which is great because that will that will definitely make the production quality much, much better. Not increase costs exponentially or decrease quality. That no no no. Like American Vehicles, this will only make the product better. Now, it looks like this is actually 66, empl 66 specific employees from Warner Bros. Animation Studio and 22 from Cartoon Network. They filed a petition for the union election with the National Labor Relations Board. Now, it looks like the group is specifically spe uh, seeking Warner Bros. voluntary recognition of the union as part of the Animation Guild, which... I guess there is a guild for everything, which it sounds really, it's very deceptive. It sounds really cool, like an old, you know, King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, but it is not that cool. It's, it's just a union where they just want more money um, for doing the same amount of work. So it's, it's not that cool. If they dressed up as knights, that would increase their, that, that would at least make me more interested in watching their constant protest. Now, it looks like if the Warner Brothers Discovery recognized the union, either by either voluntarily or forcing the national labor boards to intercede then the group would become one of the become one of a number of animation groups that are also trying to become unionized and bargain for a first union contract with the animation guild currently in negotiations apparently are rick and morty the simpsons and family guy and they're currently also bargaining for their first union contract with the animation guild which oh if i if i was an executive entertaining the the simpsons guild I would laugh them out of the room because that show has not been culturally relevant for a decade. That that particular animation show shot themselves in the foot more times than I could count. Not just because it got political and became even more biased, but they also didn't adapt like South Park. South Park was brilliant in terms of they consistently keep up with the news. They make it very culturally relevant because they address those topics as part of the show. The Simpsons really didn't embrace that until much, much later. And by that time, no one cared because there really is no character development. It was just the same cliche. Dad, they, it's the same Hollywood cliche. The dad is a bubbling moron. The wife is strong and smart. It's just ridiculous. And people stop tuning in. It used to be something where people religiously tune in every, I believe it was every like day at 5 p.m. Since this was on Fox News, like the one gem in a million that Fox News made a good decision on was producing that show. But of course, it just became old and stale and no one tuned in. So... The fact that they actually want more money, that's hilarious because it's not worth it. Rick and Morty, is a, they're more of an upswing, upswing in terms of the production, but they had a huge controversy with one of their co-founders having allegations against him um, 
some of which are the most de um, morally deprived and you could possibly imagine. And he was proved innocent when it comes to the allegations with his girlfriend, with the or a female companion. I forgot if they were dating, but she alleged abuse against him, and he in court was able to prove that he was innocent. At that time, of course, you know, guilty day one, innocent, you know, page seven of the New York Times, what they used to say. But he was already fired, so they had to find a replacement voice actor. Now, apparently you've been told, you know, by the time, that, you know, I think season three, Justin really wasn't involved in the show too much in terms of the daily production. But a lot of the fans follow partially because of him. And there's going to be some fan drop off because it's a different person, even if they sound darn near identical. And there are some great voice actors who could take those, you know, take those roles on. But you're going to lose some of the fan base because of that. The controversy also caused some fans to lose as well. So overall, they, there's, there are some issues with that particular show. Now, when it comes to Family Guy, I think they're still doing about the same, which kind of like a Transformers movie. You just copy-paste the Family Guy show, and they're about all the same. Again, cliche, the dad's a bumbling moron, the wife is smart. The same cliche idea that Hollywood's done for the past decades. Beyond. It's just... Why tune in anymore? It's the same damn thing. So I don't know how much leverage they have as they try to go through these negotiation contracts. And of course, this is very political because unions, historically speaking, this is very much a quid pro quo where they donate heavily to politicians, which is ironic because it's kind of the opposite of what many people talk about in terms of political donations. It's not when it doesn't really get the front page news, depending on who controls the page as well. But it's interesting from a political perspective, you know, what's focused on in that regard. Now, other interesting political news, you have Ron DeSantis laying off about one-third of his campaign staff. Now, granted to me, that's not enough. They've made so many mistakes. He's just, I almost debate if they just fire everyone and build from the ground up. Because they've made so many, they shot themselves in the foot multiple times. Now, the cuts were also confirmed by their advisors, and it would total the amount of 38 jobs across a wide array of departments. Now, it looks like they also include 10 event planning positions, which which that's probably the least thing he needs to worry about in terms of cutting costs. Cause I would, I don't know what those people are costing, but that's not the infection that's spread like um, a disease in the DeSantis campaign staff, because that they're not making the strategic moves. So, as far as I, they might be cutting back on the physical events and that's why they don't need them anymore, but that's not what they need to do to win. That's just decreasing costs a little bit, which, if you look at the multi-billion, multi-billion, billions of dollars involved in campaigning, left and right, I don't know how much a couple hundred thousand is really going to save you. Now, it looks like the departure will also include some campaign advisors, specifically Dave Abrams and Tucker Obenstein, and that might be good because yes, he the people advising him are morons to say the least. He did great as a governor of Florida. He exponentially went from winning by less than 1% of the vote to 19%, which in, in politics is unprecedentedly great. Now, I don't know if you got, there's rumors that you got different um, advisors for this, and they're just making him look terrible. One of the worst things they did, in my opinion, was the one of their affiliates, uh, I believe is the something, the, can, the DeSantis War Room uh, Twitter handle, and of course, you know, part of the campaign, they put out an ad saying, you know, real Trump, and it, it was a, a compilation of pictures where Trump is hugging Fauci. Now, they said real Trump, but three of the six pictures, specifically the ones where he actually was hugging and embracing Fauci, those were done with deep fake AI technology. And when asked for comment, the campaign said, oh yeah, well, Trump does it too. 
And the Trump campaign did something silly, like they photoshopped DeSantis riding a rhinoceros or something. Those are not the same. The, one is clearly fake. No one believes Ron Sanchez is, or Trump is on a rhinoceros running around. Or, I guess in that case, galloping around. Whatever, whatever rhinoceros I do, if that's the plural for rhinoceros. But it's clearly fake. And a lot of people I know were deeply offended by the camp, DeSantis campaign doing that. And Ron, all Ron DeSantis had to do to fix that situation was come out publicly and say, Hey, I do not agree with that campaign decision. That was BS. That was unethical. We will not do that again. We will not use technology in a malicious, manipulative way to try to stir up support for our campaign. That would have taken well under the, I believe it was uh, 280 characters allotted by Twitter, or just take 18 seconds to say it. Ron DeSantis did not do that. So he lost a lot of support. People I know who previously support Ron DeSantis no longer support him because they saw his morality and his ethics just drop precipitously. That was a huge campaign mistake. I don't know who on that team made that decision, but that was... Not only did someone on the campaign decide that, but Ron, even if, I don't know how disconnected he is from seeing these types of production um, products being pushed in terms of campaign art materials, but he's either disconnected or he didn't care that they lied. Either of those things are not indicative of a good presidential nominee, in my opinion. And it'll be interesting to see how this really affects his campaign. Now, when asked for comment, this actually comes from the DeSantis campaign manager, Jerna Peck, we said, quote, following a top-down review of our organization, we have taken additional aggressive steps to streamline operations and put Rand DeSantis on the strongest position to win the primary to defeat Joe Biden. Now, Gurna actually continued and said, quote, Governor DeSantis is, is going to lead the great American comeback, and we're going to hit the ground running as we head into, the, into an important month of the campaign. Unquote. Which, I almost wish I could believe that person. I think... In terms of policies, Ron has some great policies, and business-wise, Florida is one of the fastest-growing economies in the United States. Also, one of the fastest-growing places in terms of population is people are going to Florida specifically due to his policies that attract businesses that have a low cost of living, no income tax. It's a great way to attract new people to come to your state. So there are a lot of great things that he both directly and indirectly controlled and led to in terms of making Florida better. A cliche, it, again, I'm not his campaign team, but it takes about two-eighths of a second to think of a funny hat, make Florida great again, and just, there's a, there's a sh little little nugget of an idea there. But in terms of campaigning, it really just seems like Diet Trump. He's, he's going after Trump a little bit, but he's really not aggressive. And just that crash and burn where he announced his campaign on Twitter, where he sounded as about enthusiastic and energetic as Biden, which... Left, right, center, whoever you're, if, whoever is going up against Biden, whoever that nominee is, they need to have a mo just a modicum of more energy than Biden, which is easy. Any human should have that capability. Everyone should be focusing on that. They should be focusing on policies. They should be focusing on capabilities and competencies. Unfortunately, in pure Republican fashion, they're woefully inept and just arguing a bunch against each other. Now, I wish there was a lot more support for a third-party ticket because that's made my beliefs fall. But as cliche as it sounds, some uh, a wise man would once say, get your shit together. Pardon the French, but it's a mess out of the DeSantis campaign. And if he wants to surpass Trump for the nominee, he needs to do astronomically good at the upcoming debate. Now, there is somewhat of an advantage in terms of Trump's not going to go to that debate. 
partially because there's no upside. And when I say debate, it's going to be the August primary where it's only only the Republicans debating each other as their goal is to get the presidential nominee. Now, Trump's not going to go partially because he says there's no reason. There's not a lot of upside because he is winning in terms of the primaries. All the polls say he has the greatest support for the primary Republican nominee. So if he doesn't go, presumably Ron is still somehow still around second place in terms of the percentages of people who are voting for the nominee. He needs to come up with some clear, concise messaging. He needs to turn that ship around. Can he do that? that that's going to be the real question. He has some great, he has some great ideals. I wish him the best, but as Magic 8-Ball might would say, I would say, outlook not so good. Now, going on to the business blunder of the day. You have Spotify raising their prices and their stock precipitously decreasing. Coincidence? Well, probably not. Now, in terms of the good news, they currently have about 200 million paid subscribers, which is pretty damn good for an app. When you look at most podcast apps, which Personally, that's why I use Spotify. I, I downloaded it exclusively because they were smart enough to get an exclusivity contract with Joe Rogan. So the only place you can listen to Joe Rogan for his full format podcast is on Spotify. That cost them a pretty penny. The rumor is a little bit over $100 million, but a brilliant business decision because it brought people to Spotify. Now, that being said, a lot of people just listen to it for free, which they make money off the ads, but in terms of making money as an app, you make more money having a direct sale where the customer just pays you directly to get rid of the ads. This is especially true, as you see, just as an average ad spend and ad revenue are decreasing, especially with tough times of the economy. A lot of companies, it's a little bit hard to quantify certain advertising campaigns. So that's why you see a little bit of a pullback when it comes to actual spend on those types of initiatives. Now, it looks like they're currently raising the price of their premium subscription. The first month price change is going to be about taking up to $10.99 per month. And apparently this is the first price hike in the United States since 2011. And in terms of inflation, they're losing, I don't know if they're, well, they may be losing money fiscally, but I don't know how bad it is in terms of the inflation compared to 2011 to 2023, after the United States brilliantly pumped more money and printed more money than ever been made before. I wonder if that might start 40 year, 40 year high hyperinflation. No, 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 it couldn't. Oh wait, oh, wait, oh it did. Great job, um, government. Now, in terms of the breakdown, looks like the and commentary, this is, not too surprising, the competitors of all the podcast hosts are also increasing their costs as well. So good news is they're not the only one doing it, so it's not gonna give them too much of a competitive disadvantage. And when asked for comment, the co-founder and CEO, Daniel Deeks, said, quote, the marketing landscape has continued to evolve since we launched. So we can keep innovating. We are changing our premium price across a number of markets across the world. These updates will help us continue to deliver value to fans and artists on the platform. Now, it looks like when it comes to the premium prices, which I know there's more than one, which is somewhat, I don't know if that's a marketing fail, but it is a little confusing for the audience perhaps. Now, it looks like they have a premium student, which maybe they're a smart student as well, but anyway, premium student starts at $5.99 per month. Premium family is $16.99 per month. You have premium duo, which is $14.99 per month, and premium single for $10.99 per month. So it looks like you're being taxed for being single. Damn it, yet again. But I digress. It looks like their stock fell about 13%. And that was as Wall Street and all the analysts were ingesting their earnings or lack thereof. But they're having an increase in the pay subscribers. So there's about 17% increase in pay subscribers compared to the same time last year. So they're getting more of a market share and they're getting more users. Now they just need to get the profitability more. 
obviously to make Wall Street happy and make all their long-term investors happy as well. It'll be interesting to see as they are still one of the top you know, podcast outlets. You can listen to the show on Spotify as well. As we have such a overwhelming competition between the streaming services, which one will go on top for podcasting? That'll be an interesting competition. We'll see with economic uncertainty, which ones will be able to ride out the tide. Time shall tell. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in today. Really want to thank you for taking time to subscribe. We're trying to get to 3,000 subscribers by the end of July. We still have a little bit of time to do that. Also, don't forget to like and comment. The feedback is greatly appreciated. It also helps with the algorithm with the videos getting shared more. Also, don't forget to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers. Heck, tell your enemies, tell anyone and everyone. Just stay safe and fight the good fight.